this series, I want to credit this series because this series is a series that a friend of mine's church ran a few years ago. It's called the Forge Community Church in Suffolk. And a really good friend of mine, Duncan Banks, who's spoken here many times. And he put this series together. And one of the messages in that series um, is the one that he did here four years ago. And I'm going to bring that to you again, but just with a, a few alterations. So some of this content is his content and a lot of it is mine that I want to share with you. Um, this is kind of the kickoff of the series, so the rest of the teaching team are going to do an amazing job over the next five weeks uh, exp- going through this, this series as we walk in different people's shoes. But just to set it up and introduce it this morning, Forrest Gump, remember the film Forrest Gump, anyone seen that film? Great film. He famously said, you can tell a lot about a person by their shoes, where they've been, where they've come from, and where they're going. And the University of Kansas spent 10 years um, doing some research where they suggested that you can tell a lot about a person by their shoes. And what their research tried to prove was you could tell their age, their gender, their social status, their political affiliations. And they reckon at the end of the 10 years, they were 90% accurate. You could actually tell 90% accurately about a person in their shoes. I'm not sure whether I believe all that. But here is some of their research. So, um, expensive shoes. These shoes are the most expensive shoes in the world. $23.6 million. Nearly like 15 million quid. Gold pl- solid gold stilettos, diamond encrusted shoes. If any of you girls are knocking your husband there saying you, you should not be asking for them, that is criminal in my opinion. But apparently, if you wear expensive shoes, it shows you've got a lot of cash or you're in debt a lot. I would add that to that. If you have flashy shoes, it shows you're extrovert. If you have practical shoes, you are agreeable. Old but well-kept shoes, you are conscientious. Some of you are already looking around the shoes, aren't you? Around the feet of people around you. (laughs) Shabby shoes, apparently you're a liberal thinker. Interesting. Ankle boots, you're aggressive. Everyone looking out for ankle boots all around here. (laughs) Boring shoes. Boring shoes. The next one, you're aloof and repressive. Okay, so I'm not sure about that one there. And these, you're a Christian. Actually... Actually, this morning at the first service, I was told by a culture guru, no less, that actually this is in now. Apparently it is. And that person is actually wearing them. Laura Hancock, stand up and show us those shoes, girl. With white socks and sandals. A little round of applause, because that's very embarrassing. <laughs> so apparently that's in now, but I'm not so sure about it. But you know the guy that we're going to look at, he had an amazing encounter with Jesus, but actually, and actually he wore shoes, but none of those kind of shoes. He actually did also wear sandals, but without the white socks. And the character we're going to look at is called John the Baptist. And he's famous really for how he wore, what he wore, how he lived, but also much more than that. And Jesus said an incredible verse about John the Baptist. Here it is. In Luke 7, verse 20, this is the Passion Translation. Just listen to this. This is Jesus who said this. Throughout history, there was never found a man as great as John the baptizer. Now, bearing in mind, Jesus is speaking to a largely Jewish audience. And in their history, the greatest man who's ever lived was Moses. The next greatest was Elijah. They had David. They had Deborah. They had Samson. They had Gideon. They had incredible people. And Jesus says, this man was the greatest man who's ever walked on the earth. 
And yet, it's even more amazing. Yet those who now walk in God's kingdom realm. So if you're a believer this morning and in your shoes, if you say, I'm now walking, following Jesus. I'm, in God, I'm walking in God's kingdom realm. Though they appear to be insignificant, will become even greater than he. Isn't that an amazing verse? If you walk in God's kingdom shoes, Jesus says, John's the greatest. He's the greatest. But those guys... You, me, us, if we walk now in God's kingdom realm, we could be even greater than he. That's an amazing verse, isn't it? Surely this messes with the research. Surely people who are great don't wear sandals. You know, I have a flip-flop issue that I want to share with you this morning. This is a funny thing in our house. My wife and Josh often talks about it. I love shoes and I really love flip-flops. And when we go on holiday, um, one of them will say to me, so how many of you packed? You know, and I'll say, just the normal five pairs of flip-flops. That's normal. One for the beach, one for the pool, one for walking around, and two for formal. I mean, everyone does that, don't they? Am I weird? Okay, that's fine. But, <laughs> so basically, this guy, John the Baptist, who walked around in probably just one pair of sandals because he wasn't as weird as me or obsessive. But Jesus said he's the greatest man who's ever lived. What, the question I want to ask you this morning, guys, what does it mean to be great? And what does greatness look like? We live in a world obsessed by people who want to make their country great again. But what do they really mean? What does it really mean? To be great. Is greatness all about what we do and what we achieve and who we become? Or actually, is greatness more to do with who we are? See, I, I believe that John was great in Jesus' eyes because he wasn't great in his own. And that's the difference between a lot of people in the world that wear expensive shoes and, and we think, oh, they're great. But they're great in their own eyes. I wonder whether John was great in Jesus' eyes because he wasn't so great in his own. So let's walk a mile in the sandals of John the Baptist this morning. And I want to draw out four points for you and then we'll see um, what God wants to do with it and how to apply it to you. The first thing is this, that he had a unique birth. He was called the greatest man who'd ever lived by Jesus. He had a unique birth. Let me tell you about his birth. His father, Zechariah, was a priest. His mother, Elizabeth, they were old. They didn't have any children. And you know, when you can't have kids, and I know this is resonant for many of you maybe in the room or if you're watching or listening, and, and you can't have kids naturally, that's incredibly painful. And I get that. In this culture, not only was it painful, it was shameful. Literally, barrenness was a, was a mark of, of disgrace. It was almost like if you couldn't have kids, it was like somehow God was saying that you're, you're barren and you're unfruitful. And, and it's almost like shame. And yet, even when they were well on in age, this, this angel appeared to, to uh, Zechariah and said, hey, hey, God is going to do something amazing and you guys are going to have a baby. And, and, and his mother, Elizabeth, was related to Mary, the mother of Jesus, because his birth was unique and supernatural. But John the Baptist's birth was unique and supernatural. And this is what the Bible says in Luke 1. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you're to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be, and here's the word again, great in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, and it happened. And it was an amazing, supernatural, incredible birth. So, do you have to have a unique kind of birth to be great? Yes, you do. And you have one. Each and every person 
in this room or watching or listening, you have a unique birth. I don't care about what the circumstances that brought you. You have a unique birth because the Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is nobody on planet earth like you. And it may be this morning that you say, oh yeah, but you don't know about the circumstances of my birth. And maybe some of you, you know, maybe you're adopted and you're fostered and you look back at that and you think, oh, it's so easy for you to say that. But listen, no matter what happened in order for you to come into the world, God knows you and you are unique. There is nobody like you on planet Earth. There is no one like you. You know, I was in India recently and in India there's 1.2 billion people in that country and, and just people everywhere. The state that we were in, it's a, not a very well-known state. There's 60 million people live in the state. That's as many people as live in the UK. And, you know, we were in shops and, you know, I noticed that there's three people doing one person's job because there's just so many people. And yet I looked and I said, and you know what? And I just felt God reminded me and I know every single one of them by name. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are unique. It doesn't matter how you came into the world. I know it does matter, but, but that's not the point. The point is that however you came into the world, you have a unique birth. God knows you uniquely. Um, we were in Africa a while ago as a church in Zambia, and some of the communities that we used to go to, um, th- th- they make names for their kids. They give them their birth name, and then they give them another name like Joy and Glory and, uh, uh, and Majesty. And We went to this one village, and lots of these kids were called Surprise. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? There were loads of little surprises all around. <laughs> but it's not a surprise to God. And maybe you think you're a surprise or an accident, or a mistake, or an inconvenience, or a pain, or a challenge. Listen, you are unique to God. There is nobody on planet earth like you. And he knows you by name. A guy called Gerard Kelly, who was a guy I used to know a long time ago. He's, he he's comes from Stourbridge, actually, was at Chornhill Church and was a great poet. And he wrote this many, many years ago. And he said this, there's only one you, there's only one Mona Lisa, one Robin Hood, there's only one QE2. Though others share the hundred acre wood, there's only one Winnie the Pooh. And while some people search for a gadgeteer as good, for James Bond, there's only one Q. There's only one Nina Ritchie, one mouse that's Mickey, and it's tricky, but there's only one you. Roses are red, violets are blue, genetics have proved it, there's only one you. And I wonder where the greatness starts when we realize that we are who God says we are. And if you don't know God this morning, you know, we can try and get our identity horizontally from what we do and from all that. But ultimately, our identity only comes vertically from who we are. And so we walk in our shoes. And greatness, I think, is when we walk in our shoes, knowing who we are in God. We are unique. Secondly, he had a unique lifestyle. Just, just look at this Bible verse here. His clothes, Mark 1, 6. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food he ate locusts and wild honey. He looked weird, didn't he? He looked weird and he lived a weird kind of lifestyle. I mean, he looks more kind of Ben-Hur than Benny Hinn. If you know who Benny Hinn is, okay, check it out on YouTube, white suit. You know, he, he kind of looks more desert than designer. He looks more political activist than politically correct. So, so are you saying, Leon, that, that, that we need to wear stuff like this and eat weird food? 
You know, I love eating weird food when I travel. You know, and, and I, I've eaten caterpillars in Zambia. I've eaten cow's intestines in South um, Africa. I've eaten brains in Bulgaria. I've eaten a scorpion in Singapore. I'm sure I'll eat weird food the next couple of weeks. But that's not what a unique lifestyle is about. It's not what you eat or what you wear. It's how you live your life. And he had a unique lifestyle because how John lived his life caused other people to ask questions of their own. It caused other people to ask him questions. Why do you live? Why do you do? Why do you do what you do? How do you do that? It caused his life asked questions of other people. Does ours? You see, I think John the, John the Baptist, he stood out. I know this is the theme for you young guys when you were away last weekend at the weekender. He stood out and he stood up and he stood strong. And, and, and he was different by the way he lived. Yes, he was different by what he wore and what he ate, but that isn't the point. The point was he lived a different lifestyle and Jesus said, he's the greatest man who's ever lived. I wonder, guys, and if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, let me just talk to you for a moment. Do we blend in so much that we look no different to anyone else? Because if we do, if we do, what on earth are we doing? Because we should be walking in these kind of shoes with a different lifestyle that points to a different situation, to a different purpose, to a different foundation, to a different source of life in our lives and causes other people to say, hey, what is it about you? I love so much what Hannah was sharing. Uh, you know, We didn't tell her to say all that stuff. She just said it all naturally and she could have spoken a lot more, but we didn't have the time. But just that way, hey, I want to live like this. I want to, on the train, I want other people to see it with my staff, with my customers, in my situation. You know, she told me how um, a homeless guy died just outside the restaurant, how she, it really got to her. And she's almost saying to the restaurant people, what can we do? We've got a restaurant, for goodness sake, with all of this resource. And there's someone dying. And I just, I just listened to her. I thought, well, what an amazing way to not only do your job well, but to live in a way where it's not just about you it's about what you do. It's about your lifestyle. The way you live your life speaks about who you're living your life for. He had a unique lifestyle. You know, I wonder, you know, there's a lot of darkness in our world. Here, let, me, let me say this. Great people don't blame the dark for being dark. They ask why the light isn't shining brighter. And I wonder if some of us need to stop blaming the dark for being dark and instead say, I want to walk in different shoes. I want to be like John. I want to be a light carrier. It says in Matthew 5 verse 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You might know that old Sunday school song, let your light shine. Remember that, some of you? I want to say, let your unique light shine. You are the unique light of the world. There is nobody like you. Let your unique light Light shine. Can you remember when your light really shone? When you brought the best you to your world. You know, you know, we should be people, I think, as we live our lifestyle, it's coming up to Lent. And, you know, so many people ask me, what am I giving up for Lent? People who aren't Christians often ask me about Lent. People still do that, don't they? And that's important. But listen, if we're just going to live our good lifestyle for Lent, what on earth are we about? We should be people, shouldn't we? who live our lives not as owners of our stuff, but as stewards. We should live our life as people. We should be the ones who live out greatness by being faithful to our spouse, by being the ones who don't cheat when others do, who don't gossip when others do, who do care about our neighbours when others don't, who do work hard when the boss is not there as well as when the boss is there. Because that's a unique lifestyle. So I want to encourage you. 
How's your unique lifestyle going? Maybe today you want to say, hey God, would you, would you just walk in, would you help me to walk in my shoes a bit better? Would you just come and encourage me to, to walk that out? And then thirdly, he had a unique purpose. Let's go to the scripture again. Luke 3, 16. Jesus answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water. Oh, sorry, John answered their questions saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming. Someone who is greater. Here's this word again, greater than I am. So much greater <laughs> that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. So he's wearing sandals, but he's recognizing there's someone coming who's greater. He, he's saying, I can't even, I'm not even worthy to untie this boy's sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I think John was so great because John's life wasn't about John. It was actually about Jesus. And the purpose of his life was to prepare the way for Jesus. The purpose of his life was to show how great Jesus is. And one day he's baptizing people and Jesus rocks up. And in the line of people waiting to be baptized, he sees this character, he sees Jesus. And as he gets closer, he recognizes this young guy who's just started, who's just come on the scene at the age of 30. And he recognizes this is the one I've been preparing the way for. And he has this little moment where he says, and you want me to baptize you? And can I just say a little word here about baptism, okay? We've got a baptism baptisms coming up in April. If you are a follower of Jesus and you've said yes to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying if you're a follower of Jesus and you've read the whole Bible and you speak in Hebrew and Greek and you give all of your money. I'm not saying any of that. If you've made a decision and you said, Jesus, I want to walk in your shoes. I want to follow you. You're ready to be baptized. And if you've delayed it for whatever reason, Maybe you've delayed it because something happened at the last one and something happened at the one before and at the one before that. You know what? Something happened. And then there was that moment when something happened and you couldn't do it. And then there was the moment when you thought, I don't want to get up and speak. But now, you don't have to do that. Okay, but then something happened. If you've made excuse after excuse after excuse, I want to tell you, stop it. Get baptised. It's the, one of the best things you can do. It's a mark of obedience to what the Bible said. But it's not about obedience. It's about love and devotion. And saying, hey, I haven't got it all together, but I want to say, Jesus, publicly, I want to follow you. And then I want to declare to my world, my family and friends who I'll invite along, this is the shoes I'm walking in now. So you can sign up for that. And if it's so long ago that you become a Christian and a follower of Jesus, and you just haven't got around to it, and now you feel embarrassed because it's been so long ago, don't worry. We are all here with you and for you. And so I want to encourage you to sign up and get baptised. But then when John meets Jesus, Jesus really reveals his true greatness, or John does. Because this is what John says, uh, if we go to the Bible here. So in John 3, John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. And here's the key to John's greatness. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. In some translations, it says, he must increase, and I must decrease. John's purpose, his unique purpose, was to point people to Jesus and for him to get out of the way so that Jesus would be lifted up. 
And if you're not a Christian this morning, that's basically what a follower of Jesus is all about. That's what we're meant to be. We don't always get it right. Sometimes you look at us and you think, is that what being a Christian's like? I'm sorry, it really isn't. We keep looking at Jesus and we say, Jesus, we want to look like you. And as we walk in those shoes and as he walks in our shoes, over time, we become to look a little bit more like Jesus than we used to. Okay, We're not where we want to be, but we're not where we used to be. And John is always saying this. John was great in Jesus' eyes because he wasn't great in his own. Do you know, the early church chose December the 25th for Christmas Day because that's the day um, when the days start to get longer, when the light begins to increase. And they chose around June the 24th for John the Baptist's birthday because that's the day when the days get shorter, when the light decreases. Isn't that interesting? Because John said, I want to decrease and I want his light to increase. Andy Stanley, who's a leader from North Point in Atlanta, said, if you live for yourself, you will only have yourself to show for yourself. I want to call you. Listen, if you're not a Christian this morning, I want to call you to be a Christian, not because the Bible says it, but because it's the best way to live your life. And it is the call to do something with your one and only life that lives on. That isn't about making a name for yourself. It's about living not for yourself, but for him and for his purposes. And John the Baptist was that. He had a unique birth. He had a unique lifestyle. He had a unique purpose. But here's the fourth thing, and this is the twist in the tale. He had a not-so-unique question. You see, after John baptizes Jesus and Jesus starts doing his thing with the teaching and the miracles and all that, John's popularity begins to drop. It begins to decrease. And some of his followers, they were called his disciples, they shifted across from John and they ended up with Jesus. And then Herod, who was the ruler of the day, the, 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 the Jewish ruler and the Roman uh, rulers who were occupying the, the nation at the time, they started getting a little bit agitated because John was being, you know, he was kind of really going at it, okay, and really aggravating and annoying them because his message was so strong. So they ended up putting him in prison. So here's this guy who Jesus says was the greatest man who's ever lived, and he's in prison. And he's going nowhere. He's a man of action going nowhere. He's a man of the outside, locked up. He's a man who loves people, seeing nobody. And so he says to his disciples, the couple that were left, will you go and ask Jesus a question? And I think this is one of the most powerful questions ever asked in the whole Bible. And it's a question some of you today in this room, or if you're watching or listening, you are asking this question as well. Here it is. Luke 7.20. When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask. Here it is. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? I love this. Guys, this is reality. This is honesty, isn't it? Jesus, are you the one? I thought you were, you know. And I saw you and I baptized you and, and, and you, you got up and, and like God spoke over you and, and you did incredible things. And I pointed and I said, don't follow me, follow him. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. But are you the one? Because I'm here in prison. I'm locked up in prison. Are you the one? Or did I get it wrong? And I wonder how many of you have ever felt like that or feel like it today. One of my favourite old stories, a kid wanted a bigger bike. Said to the dad, I want a bigger bike. Dad said, no, 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 you're small and you're going to fall off and you're going to hurt yourself. Hey, daddy knows best. To which the girl said, then I want another daddy. 
And I wonder how many of us have said, if this is how it is, Daddy, maybe I want another one. I remember when me and Alice and my wife were young parents and we've got two kids, two lads, you know the story. We would have had more, but our second uh, son has got this complex special needs and learning disability. And I remember at the time, we were young parents and he'd just been diagnosed and we were told this news in a doctor's consultancy. And we went out and sat in the car and we bawled our eyes out like babies. And in the weeks and months and years after that, there's been, there have been many times, certainly was then, and there been many times since, where I've sometimes said to God, God, are you sure you've got this right? Like, this is such a difficult situation. I'm sure I could do more for you if it wasn't like this and all that kind of stuff. I've asked that question as well. Are you, are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? Have I got it right following you? And many of you in this room, you're going through situations right now when you feel like you're locked in a prison. And you feel like, maybe I got it wrong, this whole Jesus thing. Jesus says to these guys, go back to John and tell him what you see happening. And so if you read the the story, he goes back and he tells them what's happening. And they go back and they tell Jesus that, that, that blind eyes are seeing and that deaf ears are hearing and lame people are walking and people are being set free and chains are falling and fear is bowing and hope is coming and lives are being healed and all of that. And we don't know how John responds because we don't see it written down. I think there's a smile on his face. And I think he might have said to himself something like this, I can't prove it. I think, okay, I get it now. As I'm decreasing, he's increasing. So if it means I have to be in prison in order for your light to increase and more lives to be reached for you and to be set free and for your kingdom to expand, then so be it. Because it was never about me anyway. And What blows my mind is that right after this bit, right after this question, that's when Jesus says, this man John is the greatest man who's ever lived. Isn't that amazing? He doesn't say it when John's at the height of his thing. He says it after he asks this question. After he shows his vulnerability and his humanity and the reality of those questions. You know, I was away in Ireland last week speaking at a leader's retreat. And uh, Tuesday to Thursday. And on the Thursday, we finished lunch and we're heading to the car park. And this old retired pastor came across to me. And he said this. He shook my hand. <laughs> He's a really funny guy. And he said, um, now, I've never met him before. And he says, when I saw you on Tuesday when you come, I thought, oh, here we go. Here's another high flyer. That's what he said. But now I've seen you, I realise you're not. <laughs> Actually, it was a compliment. It, it was, honestly. At the time, I wasn't sure. But then he said, because you talked about your reality, you've talked about your vulnerability, you've talked about the things you've struggled with. He says, and all of a sudden I realised, now he's not one of these that's got it all together. And I thought, actually, that was a compliment. Because actually, reality is, is that humanity and humility is about when we're real about what's going on. Listen, if you've got doubts or questions about God, you're in great company here. But here's the thing. What John did with his doubts was his doubts took him to Jesus, not away. If you've got your doubts, you've got your questions, you've got, I can't understand it. Here's the reality of the prison I'm in. And that's you and your kingdom and I can't work it out. Let your questions take you to Jesus, not away from him. John was great in Jesus' eyes because he wasn't so great in his own. So, 
as we draw to a close, who is willing, who wants to walk in these shoes? I mean, not these, because these are my sandals. You do not want to, I've got horrible feet. But, <laughs> but who wants to walk in the sandals like John the Baptist did? Maybe to walk in the reality of who we are. I am a unique human being, not because of the circumstances of my birth, but because of who is the creator. Walk in your identity. And then we walk out a unique lifestyle where our life asks questions of others. And it points people towards God because that's our purpose. It's not about us. We want to decrease so that he can increase. And even with our not so unique questions and struggles, who wants to walk in these kind of shoes? I really want to. But you know what? There's something interesting because actually, John wasn't the greatest human that had ever lived. I mean, I mean he was up to that point. But then, of course, Jesus came along, who was the greatest. And what Jesus did on the night before he was killed was he took a bowl and he took a towel. And what he did was he took off the sandals of all of the people who'd followed him. Now, before this had happened, in the ancient world, this had never happened. No king, no ruler, no leader, no someone who's great had ever stooped at the feet of those people that they were leading. Jesus changed all that. Jesus says, if you want to be great, it's not about getting high, it's about going low. It's not about strutting, it's about stooping. It's about being willing to wash the feet. And it and, and I, I, I blows my mind this, because Jesus washes the dirt off the feet of the people that he had created. I mean, what creator washes the feet of his creation? It's mind-blowing to me. And I want to say to you, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, I want to offer you a challenge to walk in these shoes. Why don't we be the ones that go out into our culture and open the door so that someone else can walk through, who stop at a, at a junction and let other people in the traffic when we're late? Why can't we be the ones that, that say to someone in a supermarket, hey, you've only got three items and I've got like 364. Why don't you go before me? You know, I got on a plane in the middle of India, a really, really small plane. And as I walked up the steps, I said to the studios, hey, how are you doing? How's your day been? And I, I tell you no word of a lie, she looked at me and then she said, nobody has ever asked me that question. Wow. She says, I ask that question all the time. That's what I do. That's my job. Nobody has ever asked me that question. And I thought, that's, see, that's sad, isn't it? So why can't we be the ones that pick up the bowl and the towel and serve? Why can't we be the ones that actually head out and to say to our society and our community and our humanity, hey, the one who is the greatest of all, this is what he did. He's shown us how to walk this stuff out. Martin Luther King said, everyone can be great because everyone can serve. You want to be great? Pick up a bowl. Pick up a towel. Go wash people's feet. As we draw towards a close, I'm going to ask the guys to come back up. Um, I'm listening to an album at the moment, one of my favourite bands, Casting Crowns. Some of you will know who they are. And they've got a great song on that album called Only Jesus. Let me just read these words to you. And it says this, make it count, leave a mark, build a name for yourself, dream your dreams, chase your heart. Above all else, make a name the world remembers. <laughs> but all an empty world can sell is empty dreams. I got lost in the light when it was up to me to make a name the world remembers, but Jesus is the only name to remember. And here's the chorus, and I can't get the chorus out of my head at the moment. It says, and I, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. 
only Jesus. And I, I've only got one life to live. I'll let every second point to Him. Only Jesus. And in a moment, we're going to take communion together. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically some bread and some juice. And this is what Jesus did after He washed the disciples' feet. And Peter struggled with that. He said, you're not going to wash my feet. I'm going to wash yours. And Jesus no greatness is when we stoop, not when we strut. But after that, then they, they had a meal. And, 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 and at that meal, Jesus said then, I want you guys and everyone who follows after you, everyone who walks in these shoes, you've got to keep doing this because you've got to remember me. But it's not just remembering Jesus. Communion is not just remembering Jesus. It's remembering the, the way Jesus lived his life. And he's saying, hey, you served. That's how I'm going to serve. You stooped. That's how I'm going to stoop. You walked in these shoes. That's how I'm going to walk in these shoes. And that's not just on Sunday. That's on Monday. One of the things that blew me away on Wednesday was, was hearing Hannah say that she takes Sunday and repackages it for Monday. We then went into someone else's workplace and you'll see his next week. And on his board in his school where he's taught for 30 years is one of my quotes. It's not got my name on it. But one of the quotes, and he says he takes often things that, we, that he hears here and brings it into, and I thought, wow. Because that's what I think it's really like. What could Jesus do if he walked in your shoes in the week on Monday, not just on Sunday? So we're going to take communion. Before we do that, I want to just ask you to close your eyes for one moment. I'm aware that there are people in this room or tuning in, watching, listening, and you feel like you're in John the Baptist's prison right now. And you're asking the question, Jesus, did I get it wrong? Did I get it wrong to trust you? Did I get it wrong to put my hope in you? And I believe Jesus wants to come right now. And he won't necessarily, although I pray he will, but he might not change the circumstance. But when John the Baptist heard what Jesus was doing and he heard the bigger picture, then he put his trust in him again. And maybe this morning... That's what you need this morning. So maybe if that's you and you are in that prison and you're in that and you're asking that question, you've got those doubts. Instead of letting the doubts take you away from God, just let them take you to Him in these moments. So if that's you, I want you just to pop your hand up and I'd love to pray for you this morning. If that's you and you're in a tough situation and you're saying thank you at the back there and you're just saying, hey, I don't, I don't, thank you. Just, just put your hand up, not to me, but to God. Because you're making a step by doing that. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Jesus, I pray that as hands go up around this place, because we're saying, hey, we want to put our trust in you, but it's hard. Lord, would you come? Jesus, would you come? Spirit, would you come? Would you encourage these guys, I pray? Show them the bigger picture, but show them that your presence is with them wherever they are. You will walk in their shoes, even in the prison. In Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, let's stand together, shall we? And just as we finish, we're going to take communion together. We're going to sing an incredible song about who Jesus is. And, you know, this is going to be a great series. It's going to be a great series. I want to encourage you to invite people to come yourself, journey through this. Make sure your shoes take you to church every single week in the next five weeks. Is that okay? Because I think that will be a great investment of time for you. And as you do, bring your kids, bring your family, bring your friends along with you. Encourage them to come. And we got communion stations at the front here and at the back. And, and I want to encourage you to come and just to take communion, uh, take the bread, take the wine. And you just thank Jesus for what He's done 
But then also say, but hey, it's not just about what you've done. It's about what you're going to do in me and through me. I want to walk this out in a way that you modelled and you showed those 2,000 years ago. I want to walk in these shoes. So let's come take communion as we sing, as we finish our time.